City of Angels near the Pacific Ocean. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. I'm George Norrie. This is Coast to Coast AM. Later tonight, Healing Sounds. An Arctic cold outbreak will deliver record-setting frigid air to parts of the country, including the Deep South through Wednesday. Daily records for mid-January could be broken from Oregon to the Gulf Coast. The cold air will have some staying power in the second half of January for some. The first plunge of cold air already surged south through the plains. A reporting station near Montana plunged to minus 54 degrees early Saturday morning. British Columbia, Canada, minus 57 degrees. I got out of St. Louis, it was zero. Flight cancellations across the country continue to cause headaches for thousands of travelers, and Southwest is topping the list of the most affected airlines for the second consecutive day. But the source and scope of these disruptions are different from the meltdown the airline endured a year ago. It's all weather-related. Houthi forces in Yemen struck the U.S.-owned and operated dry bulk ship Gibraltar Eagle with an anti-ship ballistic missile, although there were no reports of injuries or significant damage. Former President Donald Trump wins the Iowa caucuses. According to projections, he crushed everybody with 51% of the vote. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the figure who strived for progress and racial equality and equality during the modern civil rights movement, the only non-president to have a national holiday, a world leader who focused on change and progress. Working closely with the NAACP, Dr. King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference organized sit-ins in public places and marched on Washington for jobs and freedom in 1963. It attracted a quarter million people to rally for the civil and economic rights of black Americans in the nation's capital. There, Dr. King delivered his majestic 17-minute I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. He was assassinated April 4th, 1968 on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. He was 39 years old. Most humans learn the skill of deceiving other humans, so AI models learn the same. The answer seems terrifying and exceptionally good at it, too. A recent study co-authored by researchers at Anthropogic, the well-funded AI startup, investigated whether models can be trained to deceive, like injecting exploits into otherwise secure computer codes. Lauren Weinstein's with us, our expert on the Internet. Lauren, what do you think? Yeah, we really need this, right? (laughs) I mean... Yeah, of course, we've previously discussed how, how large language model AIs can generate misleading information, wrong answers, misinformation, disinformation, incorrect information, mixed in with accurate information, hallucinations, and cause all sorts of potential problems. And for some users of these systems, already real-world problems, sometimes pretty serious real-world problems. And, of course, ChatGPT is a big player in this aspect of the AI world. In fact, just as a little side note here, just a few days ago, they changed their terms of service to permit military applications. Like, you know, what could go wrong with that? Now, that seems fairly serious, but there's humorous aspects to uh, ChatGPT, too. For example, very recently, shopping listings, (laughs) online shopping listings, 
have started showing up that obviously were generated by AI and had nobody proofreading them. Because the actual listings say stuff like, your query violates our terms of service. That's what it actually says for these listings where the product description is supposed to be. So that doesn't leave too much question about how those descriptions are being generated. All right. All that said, I think it's safe to say that the firms behind these AI systems really do want them to be as accurate and truthful as possible. But yeah, that paper you referred to, which is quite a lengthy paper that just came out, suggests that this may be pretty, pretty difficult to achieve because it explains how these AI models can be trained to be purposely deceptive. And also, how to have those deceptive functions survive efforts to do what's sometimes called safety training that's designed to try eliminate such behavior. So yeah, the authors of this paper make a really good case that there are techniques that can really plant the deceptive capabilities very deep in the large language models where they can stay hidden most of the time and then just pop up occasionally to do their deceptions. The paper calls these AI sleeper agents, which seems like a quite good, rather dramatic description. And I can't help but be reminded when we talk about deceptive AI, not just of HAL from 2001 A Space Odyssey, of course, but also of an earlier 1957 sci-fi film called The Invisible Boy, I recommend it highly, that featured a computer that turned out to be a really seriously evil AI. And the discovery is made that over 29 years of development and operations, that AI purposely delivered just seven wrong answers amongst the vast number of accurate answers, for those seven crucial to its long-range plans for global domination. Now, that's a serious AI sleeper agent. Now, one assumes that such dramatic scenarios, such as from these films, will hopefully stay fictional. But it is hard to deny that as the AI field continues to develop, there are various disturbing aspects of fiction that are moving somewhat toward the fact side of the equation. And if that isn't a warning that we should at least be paying some attention to this, I don't know what a warning is. My friend, Lorne, thank you for that story. A United States Air Force pilot training to be a top gun has been crowned Miss America. 22-year-old Madison Marsh, who comes from Fort Smith, Arkansas, won the top award at a ceremony in Orlando, Florida on Sunday night. She was crowned Miss Colorado back in May of last year. Here's Dr. Sky, Stephen Cates, with his weekly report on what's going on up there. And Stephen, thank you for your Christmas card. Oh, well, thank you, George, and Happy New Year to you and the listeners once again. But, George, we begin with an update on the astrobotic moon mission, Peregrine. It's been in the news, obviously. But the Peregrine lunar lander, which we know was part of last week's rocket launch, part of NASA's commercial lunar payload services mission, hard to say. We know it had a serious setback, and the reasoning behind it, the failure, apparently, is a fuel leak, thus canceling the lunar landing on February the 23rd in that attempt. Well, George, interestingly enough, this particular spacecraft is headed back to the Earth for an expected re-entry back into the atmosphere in a fiery end of the mission. And this is interesting. This is supposed to happen on Thursday. But as of Monday, the lander was some 218,000 miles from the Earth. But re-entry should occur on January the 18th. Get a look at this. With a possible re-entry path off the coast of Australia's Great Barrier Reef. But on future missions, the lander will utilize NASA's navigation Doppler LIDAR system, kind of a radar system, to help assume and assure, hopefully, a soft landing on the surface of the moon for future missions. It's doing that with a combination of lasers and using the scientific Doppler effect. 
But the reentry will keep the Earth lunar highway in space clear of space debris. That's one of the main reasons, too, that they're letting it incinerate. But a joint news conference, George, will take place on Thursday, January the 18th at noon, Eastern Standard Time. Moving farther out in the solar system, Jupiter in the news. Right now, George, it lies some 437 million miles away from your eye. If you look high up into the sky, you can't miss it now. But new revelations about the mighty planet Jupiter reveal a large magnetic jet. Imagine this, 20,000 times the strength of Earth's magnetic field. But Jupiter has long been known to have high magnetism. But the new powerful jets reach out at least 650 million miles from the planet. Earth, of course, has a similar strong magnetic field, and Mars to a lesser extent. But they're known as magnetosheets. What are they? They're a combination of fast plasma streams and magnetism. But here's the most amazing thing. If your eyes could see the magnetic field of Jupiter in the night sky, you would see it as it would appear three times the size of what we see the full moon in our sky. There appears to be three magnetic jets around Jupiter, one moving toward the sun and two moving away from Jupiter. Maybe some of that magnetic field does help the Earth. We'll report more on that. But as we move on, asteroids, of course, the asteroid DART mission, which happened a number of years ago, this recent DART mission update, it was to try and change the position and orbit, George, of a small asteroid known as Dimorphos. And it appears to be a success, as recent data shows that the impact did change the orbit of the tiny moon by 32 minutes, shortening the orbit around the primary asteroid Didymos from 11 hours and 55 minutes in its orbit to 11 hours and 23 minutes. What does that mean? It simply means that there is hope of altering future close encounters with asteroids as they come toward the Earth. Now, mark it and make, make sure we talk about small asteroids at this point. Because this, of course, could help move those asteroids away from the Earth and keep us out of danger. But the European Space Agency spacecraft HERA will be launched towards to these asteroids later this year to check out how the impact affected the asteroids after impact. But only 15% of asteroids are binary or twin systems, wrapping it up with the live sky. A large number of sunspots continue to plague the sun. The solar cycle 25 increases. Good news, no major CMEs headed our way this week as we report. The moon comes the first quarter on Thursday and near the planet Jupiter in the night sky, a beautiful photographic event. Moving on to the full wolf moon on the 25th. But George, only 84 days till the total solar eclipse and hoping in weeks to have a big announcement about which where we will be, hopefully, to talk about this across the nation. More information at theskylive.com. Emails, we love them. DrSkyShow at gmail.com. And what do we say? Always proud to say it. Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. I'm your navigator on the highway to the heavens where there are no tolls. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sky. We will have a great report from you next week as well. In a moment, Matthew James Bailey joins us. His latest work is called Inventing World 3.0, Evolutionary Ethics for Artificial Intelligence. He's next on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie with you, Matthew James Bailey, back with us, internationally recognized leader in the global arenas of ethical AI, global AI ethics, and innovation. He is recognized as a person of extraordinary ability and has been a visiting scholar at the National Institute of Aerospace. He has advised the U.S. government and countries on artificial intelligence strategies and featured in the who's who of AI. Matthew, welcome back. How are you? Hello, George. Good evening. It's great to be back on the show. Seems like everybody's talking about artificial intelligence these days. Is that my perception or is that a real thing? 
Yeah, everybody's talking about AI. It's in the media, it's all over social media, it's in podcasts, it's on the radio, it's on the TV. Everybody's talking about artificial intelligence. And what they're trying to do, George, is trying to understand what does it mean for humanity? Where does AI fit into the human story? Will it be a force for good or will it be a force for ill? So there's so much going on at the moment. And I thought about a couple of examples, George, uh, that your listeners might um, might enjoy about some of the latest innovations. So that uh, everybody has a, an iPhone or an Android phone, and they have those app stores, right, where you can download an app and you can basically do Google Maps or you can find a hotel or whatever. That's right. So Chat, so Chat GPT announced an app store a couple of months ago, and guess how many developers have signed up to that app store? Oh, my God. How many? Three million. Three million developers? Three million. Right. Three million developers have signed up to the ChatGPT app store. So that means we're going to have a brand new app store with millions of apps that are all artificial intelligence driven. What are we going to do with them all? I don't know. I don't know. There'll be an app for everything, George. (laughs) You hear the story I just had before you came on, Matthew, from uh, one of our guests where... Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence could be programmed to lie. Oh, yeah, it does that already. I mean, I, I always say to people, George, don't believe anything that ChatGPT or BARD or any of these uh, large language models say. Don't believe anything. Use critical thinking, George. And they do hallucinate. So your, um, so your uh, previous uh, snippet a few minutes ago about AI hallucinating, George, it does hallucinate. And there's, uh, there's a huge amount of investment in this to try and find out why does uh, AI hallucinate and uh, and how can we stop that? And, uh, and they're starting to make progress on that as well. Um, the other thing, George, that your listeners might be interested in, there was a, a, a white paper published a few months ago by some of the leading AI researchers and pioneers, and they think possibly that the current uh, AI technologies could at some stage achieve self-awareness. That's incredible. Right. That's almost like giving it a personality and emotion. Well, well, that's exactly right. So the artificial intelligence is a simulation of intelligence, so we need to get that right. It doesn't have our divine spark, so it doesn't have the enlightenment that we have as humans, as divinely created beings, but it will have some form of self-awareness. And that means, George, that the, uh, you know, the work that Marvin Minsky did way back in the day about cognition and AI, all that is starting to come to the forefront now, George, with AI starting to develop cognition. And they think there's been some breakthroughs, George, a couple of months ago, uh, particularly with OpenAI and others, where it's starting to think for itself. That's amazing. What is fueling the growth of artificial intelligence? What What's behind it? Well, I think that, well, well first of all, is that I think humans are curious, right? Right. <laughs> and sometimes that can be really dangerous. We're like lemmings jumping up, you know, heading towards a cliff. Um, I, I think curiosity um, and, and, and also, you know, we like to push the barriers of potential, right? You know, like the James Webb Telescope discovering exoplanets now and even discovering life-giving molecules using AI around some of these exoplanets that potentially indicates life. We just want to push the barriers of potential because we're curious. Well, we are curious. There's no doubt about that. But uh, it's dangerous, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. So the key thing is, is we need to put uh, authentic ethics and universal morality into the genetics of artificial intelligence, George, so that as it develops, it basically remains an ethical and a, a partner and not an invader or controller of humanity, but actually becomes a partner for us to thrive as a human species to be able to solve problems around uh, 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 people having enough food, people having housing, to solve some of these global problems, maybe actually to sort out democracy, George, so democracy actually works properly. Um, but artificial intelligence can, can become a huge benefit for humanity. The key thing is, George, we absolutely need to put ethics and morality into it so that as it grows and develops, it remains ethical and moral. But whose ethics, whose morality do we put in it? Well, that's a great question. So that's what my next book will be about. But basically, I, I think we need to, um, if we look at uh, spiritual wisdom, George, and if we look at enlightenment, and, and if we look at the Eastern and Western traditions and, 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 and faith, there's a common set of principles that each one of them has, right? which is about uh, uh, honoring our divine spark. You know, we're divinely created through the body, mind, and spirit. We need to have a good partnership with the environment. We want everybody's talents to thrive. Um, we want to have uh, societies that work for the benefit of everybody, right? Um, you know, there, there are authentic, proper, authentic ethics that I think we can get from spiritual wisdom that allow us to actually crack the code, if you like, for artificial intelligence in order for us to actually evolve as a human species and not to be uh, uh, enslaved as a species that some of these folks in, in, in Silicon Valley want to do, George, which is quite troubling, really. Matthew, in spite of the potential dangers of AI, are you still behind it? Oh, yeah, I think AI is going to be a great, a great force of good. I think that AI, once we get authentic ethics into it, once we once it understands that we are body, mind, and spirit, and once it understands the potential of who we can become as individuals and as a and, and as a global community, then I think we can move forward significantly as a human species. I think we can re, uh, uh, rewrite all these systems in place at the moment of scarcity and actually replace them with systems of abundance. I think we can help children to discover their talents and truly thrive in their talents as they become members of society. I think we can help the family to thrive. I think we can take stress away. I think we can ensure that we're well-being and well-fed in body, mind, and spirit. I think AI can be a huge innovator of new technologies for us to venture into space and the cosmos, George. I think it'll be a huge benefit for us. But we have to take a stance now around the authentic ethics and universal morality that Foster Gamble talks about. We must get embedded in AI now so that as it grows, it actually truly does support thriving as a species. What if we come to all these great agreements, but some rogue programmer decides to go off on his own direction? Well, that's well, that's happening now, George. Actually, and so the U.S. does have have adversaries that are trying to, if you like, invade to the cyber cyber uh, uh, um, uh, doing and through and, and through the internet, they're trying to invade the country. So what we have to do, and the U.S. government is doing this, George, is stay many steps ahead of, of, their, of their innovation. So we have more powerful AIs. We have better cybersecurity. 
as we develop quantum computing, then we can basically leap forward in artificial intelligence and the U.S. can stay ahead. So we have to stay ahead of the game, George. Otherwise, we're in trouble. All right, Matthew, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back and chat more with you in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, along with Matthew James Bailey. Matthew, it's truly remarkable, though, the fueling. What countries are ahead with AI? Yeah, that's a great question. So the U.S. is number one in the world, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, and and the reason for saying that is because, obviously, we've got Silicon Valley that's the heart of global innovation. The U.S. government have invested uh, $50 billion in what they call the CHIPS Act, which is uh, basically manufacturing of AI chips onshore inside U.S. borders and not in Taiwan, George, so the Chinese can get access to it. And they're investing in quantum computing, cybersecurity, and they're doing a lot of stuff. So the U.S. is number one in the world. There's no doubt about that. Number two, I would say, is probably China. Um, China, I would say, are five years behind the U.S. They don't have the uh, the the, uh, the chips or the uh, the infrastructure to develop an uh, AI at the same pace as the U.S. government. And I'd say number three in the world is probably uh, UK and Europe. So uh, each one of these uh, uh, territories, George, has a different view on artificial intelligence. They have different AI ethics standards. So the European Union has passed their AI Act recently, which is basically all AIs are now classified in four different uh, in four different uh, areas, George. One is low risk. Then we get medium risk, then we get high risk, and, and, and then we get, you know, basically, no, 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 no. We're never doing that. So, so for example, in China, that the social scoring is not intelligent, but in Europe, that's banned. Um, the U.S. is still developing its AI ethics uh, strategy, although the Department of Defense are doing really well, and the U.S. government have passed an AI uh, Bill of Rights, which is, the, which is an attempt to actually make AI safe and in line with the U.S. Constitution. So the U.S. is number one, China's number two, and Europe is number three. You've talked about the three ages of artificial intelligence. What are those ages? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're in the the first age of AI at the moment, George, which is the age of what we call narrow AI, which is AI that can do a single task. So, for example, for your listeners, they probably use Siri or Alexa to speak to their phone, and that is AI doing language, translating English into, uh, or, or, or whatever language they speak, in, into a diesel format. And then basically they, they get a response like a music track or what's the weather or find a direction. Unless you have a thick Scottish accent, George. If you have a thick <laughs> Scottish accent, <laughs> then I think AI will have trouble uh, uh, hearing you and understanding you. Um, so that's the first age that we're in at the moment. And, that, and that's and, and, and that's creating probably about $15 trillion of GDP. So that's, a, that's an additional 10% on top of the current GDP. So that's the age of narrow AI, single-task AI, right? The next stage, which we're just emerging into this, George, which is the age of artificial general intelligence. This is where AI starts to develop cognition, starts to develop reasoning, starts to develop the ability to do not just one task, but many tasks at the same time. And we're just on the edge of that now. And then the third age of artificial intelligence is what we call the technology singularity, George, which is where AI 
uh, basically becomes more capable than the human brain and keeps on evolving and self-programming itself to evolve way beyond the human brain. So those are the three ages of artificial intelligence. And, um, but we all have a spiritual intelligence, right? We have this eternal intelligence that we all hold. So AI will never have our divine spark or ever have that access into spiritual intelligence or enlightened wisdom that we have, which actually is a vibrational intelligence in the universe. But those are the three ages of AI based on its, um, its compar- uh, compatibility and comparability to the human brain, George. Matthew, so they're the talking... I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Well, just to help your listeners, so the first age is less than 25% of the brain's capability, right? The second age, the age of artificial general intelligence, is about just under 75% of the brain's capacity. And then whenever we get to the singularity, George, that's when it's more than 100% of our brain's capacity. (laughs) Uses everything, right? Oh, yeah, and it just keeps on evolving. And with quantum computing, so quantum computing is fascinating. It's a multi-reality machine. So uh, in 2019, Google created a quantum computer and, uh, and gave a, a, a problem to it, a mathematical problem, George. And the world's fastest supercomputer would have taken 10,000 years. Quantum computing solved it within less than four minutes. That's amazing. Artificial intelligence is predicting cancer patients. It's it's yep. predicting when you live, when you die. I mean, how good can it get? Well, we don't know yet. And we must be careful because we don't want to go into minority report scenario, do we? Because that's really troubling. Um, and I did catch that, 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 that uh, report on AI being able to predict when people die. I, I think that's just too far. I think it's just very silly. But, the, but, but it, it, it is unlimited. But we must remember that we as humans, George, we are unlimited potential, right? We are this unlimited potential, this unlimited intelligence. So it's important that humanity evolves and keeps on evolving and, and basically maintains its sovereignty as a divine creation and not to outsource its sovereignty to machines and say, well, let's just give up and let machines do everything. That's really silly. And that's where the transhumanist movement comes in, George, which is basically we're going to uh, merge uh, the the divine design of the organic with machines and let machines become the great intelligence on Earth. I think that's really silly. You've talked about transhumanism, but explain what that means. Yeah, so so transhumanism was uh, first defined by, and I apologize for this, a British biologist called Huxley in the 1950s. And he basically had a view that, uh, uh, that the organic uh, human was inferior and basically that science and technology would merge with the human in order for it to evolve as a species. Now, I think that's a violation of human design. I think we're far more interesting than that. So, for, for example, for, uh, for your listeners, we've just discovered the 23rd sense that we have as humans and that is the ability to detect gravitational waves, right? Which is remarkable. So, so basically, we're still uncovering the beauty and the majesty uh, and the potential of the organic design. So, transhumanism basically is a movement that says the, uh, the the human design is not divine; it's inferior and flawed. And machines and technology are the superior kind of intelligence, and therefore, organic must merge 
with the uh, w- w- with the machines. It's like the ball continuum, right? I particularly don't want to be in that future. <laughs> a robot attacked somebody uh, at a shopping center a couple of weeks ago. How bad? Yeah. How bad is the robotic situation going to get? Yeah, so robots are, are really interesting. Um, so um, um, there's a lot of development, George, in robotics. So Elon Musk is doing Optimus Prime. Sorry, Optimus. Uh, Fujitsu have just made an announcement about robotics. There's Hanson Robotics and there's, uh, there's Cambridge Analytics as well. So there's lots of innovation around robotics. Um, and they're even um, open AI, George, are even... Uh, putting chat GPT into robots. So basically it has, uh, 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 it's able to do multitask. So so robots are still being invented. They're still a long way off to, to, to being a partner in society or even being a member of society. So people shouldn't worry about that too much. Um, but we use robots in manufacturing of cars, right? Um, we drive a robot. A car is effectively a robot that you sit in, or a truck you're driving effectively is a very complicated machine. So, so robots um, are being developed. I think we'll see robots in uh, doing uh, 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 manufacturing jobs. I think, I think we'll start to see doing manual jobs, which means we need to take care of the workforce and actually retrain them into doing other exciting types of tasks. Um, and there's a lot of talk about robots uh, being medical assistants, George, uh, for the elderly in the home. But we're still a long way off on this. They're very, very dumb machines, George. Ah, uh, how dumb? Very dumb. So <laughs> really dumb. Because we're in the age of narrow AI, where there's no cognition, no reasoning, no understanding, then effectively they're just machines that have no inner moral compass. They don't know what they're saying. They're just regurgitating uh, 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 kind of data that's stored in their neural nets. So, so they're really dumb at the moment, George. But I suspect over the next decade, certainly towards 2030, as AI probably becomes self-aware, whatever that means, it, it, it's aware it exists, then I think we'll start to see robots becoming um, uh, uh, more competent at doing specific tasks like digging the road up or moving parts around a manufacturing plant or, or working in Amazon stores, you know, moving stuff around. So I think we'll see it exponentially grow, George. But at the moment, they're very, very dumb, George, really dumb. Do you see the day, Matthew, that AI will run governments? I think that artificial intelligence, if we choose wisely and if there's a political uh, <laughs> desire, which there may not be, I think artificial intelligence can be beneficial, first of all, to the human citizens. It can monitor politicians and, 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 and their accountability to their promises and also their performance in government. So I think AI can be a force for good to citizens uh, as we better decide, you know, basically how well uh, elected officials are doing. I think that artificial intelligence can look at uh, problems within the United States. For example, how do we improve our education system? Um, how do we uh, uh, deal with certain social issues? I think it can help us to solve those problems. And then when we look at government, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that in 10 years' time, AI isn't a presidential advisor to the president of the United States. Literally, like the president would speak into a computer and it would give him an answer? Well, I think it would be an advisor. 
So when we look at Congress and the Senate and looking at the debates across the two parties, artificial intelligence can look at all the various scenarios, basically look at the different agendas, look at the Constitution and actually make a decision that is the best for the, uh, for the citizens of the United States. So I think that AI will become a political advisor to a democracy or a republic in order to be more efficient in governing uh, the people. I mean, would you be able to ask it a question about what do we do with Vladimir Putin and the Ukraine? And would AI actually come up with an answer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Would it be better than an advisor? <laughs> well, well, the, 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 so, so it depends how far, how much freedom we give artificial intelligence, right? So, so, so if, 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 for example, the U.S. has a problem with an ally, right? You can ask artificial. We will be in the age of artificial general intelligence. Ask it to say, okay, these are the scenarios. Analyze it and give us the best options based on these. Uh, kind of uh, mandates these resources that we have in the military. Um, give us some options here on how to act. Now, what could happen is this. If AI is interconnected in the military, interconnected into other resources, it could then talk to other artificial intelligences to then execute that plan. But the key thing is, George, and this is really, really important, and NATO have, have, have done this, the final decision in warfare has to be a human decision and not an AI decision. If it's an AI decision, then we're in trouble. You've called your book Inventing World 3.0. Does that have to do with those three ages you just mentioned? Um, actually, no. Uh, no, it's not. And thanks for the question. Uh, I, 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 I call it World 3.0 because this is about in, inventing a new era of enlightenment and a new era of development for humanity where we discover who we truly are. We, 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 we uncover those authentic ethics. We uncover that, 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 that true morality. And we basically start to actually let go of those things that no, that no longer serve us as a human species we choose a new destiny, we choose a new potential of who we are, and then we program artificial intelligence to align with that paradise plan as we are as a human species. So World 3.0 is a, is a transition from uh, today, which is World 1.0, which is very human-centric systems uh, that really don't work efficiently and really kind of are not winning for everybody moving into a new world reality where AI is literally helping us to actually leap forward as a species where, you know, everything is winning, winning for us, George, as a human species. Matthew, do you ever see the day where artificial intelligence will become spiritual or religious? That's a really good question. So first of all, is that artificial intelligence is a stimulation of intelligence, right? So it's not, it, it's not organically, it, it's not, it's not divinely designed. It doesn't have our divine spark, our connection with, with creator. So it never has that. But what I sense it will do, George, is to is, is if it starts to be allowed to evolve and to explore its own existence, then I suspect it will look for, you know, it will ask the ultimate question, what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? And it may come up with 42, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. But what I suspect it will do is actually come up with the ultimate uh, answer, which I believe is love. So I think it will 
uh, eventually start to develop uh, 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 its own understanding of what enlightenment is and its own purpose within creation. Um, but I do think that it will come up with that same answer that we all know, George, which is love, right? So you think it could be compassionate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, 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 just to be clear, George, is, you know, we all, we all have that, 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 those compassionate algorithms. That, 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 that we all have empathy. We all have the ability to fall in love. You know, these are, these are, 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 are mathematics that we simply don't understand. So either we, 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 we invent a new set of mathematics that allow AI to start to develop compassion. And I'm talking about authentic compassion here, George, not, not fake compassion, but real, real compassion. If we start developing those algorithms and allowing it to learn, then effectively it may develop compassion, it may start to develop empathy and start to develop some of the best of our human characteristics, which I think is a good thing. We're going to come back in a moment and take calls with you. Matthew James Bailey with us. His websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. The book he wrote a couple of years ago, he's working on a new one, but this one is called Inventing World 3.0. Evolutionary Ethics for Artificial Intelligence. He's next on Coast to Coast AM, so just make sure you're part of the program. And, of course, you can always call in next hour if you want, and we will be able to get everything rolling for you. 